All right, so this week begins the first Sunday school class of a new series called Living as a Church. So uh, Kyle Hauk and I will be teaching through this series. Um, and it'll be a series that really focuses in on unity, unity within the local church context and within our local church context specifically. Now, I want to kick this off by just asking you a question. Um, what is unity? First, how would you define it? And why is unity important for a local church? So, open question. What is unity and how we, and why is it important for a local church? Yeah, yep, common beliefs, goals, tenets. Yep. What else, anyone add? Robert? Just as the body, the human body, like the different parts of it, like it says in scripture, like very unified because the main goal is survival in that sense. Right? Yeah. We've got an anatomical part, but that parallels to how we as a church are the body of the church and yeah. we have all different parts, but our goal is to come together and glorify God. Yeah, amen. Right, so there's this knitting gathering together that's um, built upon belief in something um, and something really outside of ourselves, which we'll talk about a little bit. So um, that, that, that commonality that's uh, grounded in the word, our belief system, right? Um, so those are absolutely a part of that. Yep. What else? Anybody else want to add to it? They're right. Add to what they're saying. Something that Robert will agree to that. He was mentioning a human body, and oftentimes a human body is out of joint, so yeah. we're learning how to be put back together. Yeah. Um, I would also uh, think of how to live as a vine, as we mm. know in John 15, that's Christ is vine, and we are all grafted into Him. Right. So automatically there's interaction between the branches through the vine. Right. So we're learning that. For the church, I think. Right. Yep. Amen. Amen. And when you're disconnected from that, whether you use the vine or the human body analogy, it, it will wither and die. Yeah. Right? And so that unity is not only for survival, but for thriving. And the antithesis yeah. of that is literal death. Is Absolutely. There is, I think, there, there can be a suffering associated with being disconnected for the true believer who finds himself not in fellowship like he should be, like he's commanded to be, I would say, um, under the means of grace, there can be a suffering that he's dealing with. Um, and I think for, uh, it can even be death um, in this life, although life in the next, but for uh, those who think that they're Christians and are just sort of participating, and find themselves separating from the body. It's, it can be death in this life and death in the next. Um, I'm, I'm getting off track, but you said something that made me think about that, so I said it. Um, but yes, that's a part of it as well. Yep. Anybody else want to add to that? What about unity? I, mean, I guess all these apply to the local church, but what about unity specifically as you think about the local church? Let's just think about our local church, right? So let's get specific. When you think about our local church, Faith Baptist Church, uh, why is unity important? Because without unity, there's no division. Yeah. <clears throat> division 
Yeah, yeah. Without unity, there's division, the opposite of unity, right? And it can chip away at um, genuine fellowship. And we've seen that sometimes where it has caused collapse. Uh, you know, the, the, the fellowship, the uh, sort of metaphorical building of fellowship has collapsed because of disunity and division. So a hand here? Yeah, uh, I think just because the world's looking at the church as well, and us mm. the local church. Yeah. So uh, unity even amongst a lot of division going on. So people from different backgrounds, you know, different mm. ethnicities coming together, being bonded by Christ. Right. So I think that's a good <clears throat> example to the community around us. Yeah, well, we're going to talk about that, Mr. Birdo. <laughs> Glad you brought that up. <laughs> yeah. So all those are really good, good answers, uh, well thought out, and I think true answers. So uh, essentially, this class that we'll, we'll be working through, this series, is built on a few simple facts that we see in Scripture. One is that God has called Christians to be with him forever, uh, but for a time, he's left us here in the world gathered into local churches. Right, so we've been called and collected. We are saved, but we're also, we're saved um, by Christ, we're regenerated, but we're also saved into a body. So if we think that we can have salvation and are saved, but don't consider that that salvation is knit to a, a, a body, the body of Christ, then um, our understanding of um, what it means to be regenerated and what that looks like, how that, the, uh, how that shows itself, there's, there's something off there, there's a disconnect. So we're saved, but saved into a body as well. Uh, the second thing is that God has chosen to use our lives together in churches as a primary, um, one of the primary methods of displaying his glory. Um, so God's glory is displayed through the uh, unity and the togetherness of the local church. Uh, the third thing that this sort of series is built on, the truth is that we are sinners. Preaching to the choir, we all know that we're sinners, I hope. Um, we are corrupted by the fall and we are being sanctified. We're sinners, but we're being sanctified. We're redeemed sinners, right? So both of those are true at the same time. Um, we're fallen but we're being sanctified, being made to look more, being further conformed to the image of Christ, right? Now, so th those first two points uh, sort of work well together. I think we know those well, that God has called us, he saved us, but he's uh, created a church which displays his glory. He's chosen to display his glory through that church. But the last thing, the fact that we are sinners is that's what makes uh, the first two ideas, which are true, complicated at times. Sin, our own sin. Okay. Not sin, I'm not talking about sin out there in the world and you know, the sort of assault against the church. I mean, the sin in us, amongst us, right? Um, that's something, I think that reality is something that it keeps us humble uh, to remember that we're sinners too, just like the person sitting across from us. Uh, all of us are fallen and are being sanctified. And that reminds us and shows us the necessity of 
um, the gospel and God who is powerful enough to preserve this unity even with a bunch of sinners, right? So those are important things to keep in mind as we work through this study. Sin makes living in unity hard at times. Um, but God, in his wisdom, has still left us here, showing the glory of his perfect character through the very imperfect and fallen uh, church. So the church is, again, redeemed sinners. Um, so keep those in mind as we go through the class as a whole. And But as we go through this specific uh, class in this uh, semester, um, we want to think about... Uh, re- Redeemed sinners living in unity together. And in particular, uh, the goal is to understand the opportunities and responsibilities that we have as church members, right? So how is it that we as sinners can gather together as a local church where unity abounds and not a forced or false unity that denies our differences culturally, theologically, um, or some other fake unity that overlooks difficulty, Those are both false forms of unity, right? We don't want and we cannot have a unity that compromises the message of the gospel uh, either, but we want a real unity that's grounded in union with Christ that is a testimony to what the gospel creates. Because here's the thing, if unity is created by you or if it's created by me, it won't last There has to be something outside of us, which is the basis and ground for our unity. I mean, we'll talk about this a little bit as we even look at Ephesians, when Paul tells them to uh, preserve the unity. He doesn't say create the unity. You're called, collected into a body of believers, and the basis of your unity is union with Christ. Now, live in such a way that's consistent with what you're called to. Right, so it's a it's a preservation of it, which happens by the spirit, of course, um, not a creating of it by us. Right. <clears throat> so <clears throat> we want to think about how it is that sinners, as we strive to preserve unity, can respond to sin um, and are missed without descending or becoming those who gossip or slander. How can the church? members trust their leaders who are also fallen too, right? That, that, that there needs to be a reality that um, we're called to, uh, we're, we're given, the, the elders and pastors here are given to shepherd, um, but we're also sinners, right? So there are other, you know, church traditions and theological Mindsets that put the pastor on a pedestal to where it's a privilege to shake his hand after the service. And you know, he takes this into himself and he thinks that he's uh, this man who's um, unique in a sense of his own, um, the, the nature of the man, I think, in those who misunderstand it. They think that they are closer or more how do I word this? I come from this background, so I should be able to word this a little better than I'm thinking about it. But I don't want to you know, slander. Um, anyway. There's pride we're not, in the inner circle. Sure, exactly. There, so there, there's a pride associated with, the, with this pastor who thinks that he's 
um, unique and looks at his, even his gifts and abilities or his position in the local church and says, um, I am surrounded by sort of this cloud of do not touch the Lord's anointed, um, which is a terrible misuse of that verse. But the, the pastor recognizes that he's, um, he is what he is because of, of Christ. Um, he is uniquely set apart. I think he is uniquely um, gifted, but he's, his giftings, what does he have that hasn't been given to him, right? So he can look at even his giftings and say, these aren't things that I created. Um, I'm not something special. I'm not something, um, you know, I'm not a, a created being like the seraphim and I was dropped down here, you know, to, to, to change the world in a sense. Um, we are men who have been given gifts and we are Christians and we are fallen, right? So I think the pastor recognizes that too. Um, <clears throat> how can we love people um, who make us feel uncomfortable uh, even though they're different from us or we love them, uh, we, we can love them even though maybe we're not familiar with their, I don't know, uh, sociological, cultural background. Um, or people who are just in a different space than we are. Um, how can a single uh, mom love the um, older, or her older brother in the faith who's in a different season of life? They have little in common naturally, but there can still be a deep love there, yes. right? And there should be a deep love there. How can we critique an imperfect church without grumbling? How can we look at a church know that uh, their sin, know that it's imperfect, but do it in such a way that's actually for the building up of the church and not grumbling against God for the church he's covenant, covenanted us into. Um, that's, that's important too. So as, as I'm working through this, you can see that this class is designed for us to really think very practically about ourselves and about the local church. Right, so we, we, we can think about out there, but I want us to think about in here, right? Saints together. So these types of questions help us to think through the nature of Christian unity. For those of us who have been around churches uh, for any amount of time, you're probably, you've probably noticed that the goal of pursuing unity uh, in a church can be very hard. Um, and again, I think it's because of sin. It, it's always because of sin. Um, but with that in mind, let's read Ephesians 4, 1 to 3 together. Now, Paul is writing to a church, right? Um, he's not writing to glorified saints. He's writing to a church, a body of believers living together <clears throat> as God called and collected people. <clears throat> so Ephesians 4, 1 to 3. <clears throat> By the way, not to sound prideful, but I did preach a sermon on this a few months ago. If you'd like to listen to it. <laughs> Ephesians 4, 1 to 3. It says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, uh, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity the spirit and the bond of peace. <clears throat> now, what does it look like to be eager to maintain unity? 
Because he, he uses a word here that's not just, um, you know, if there's opportunity, you know, see if you can try and maintain the unity. He says, be eager to maintain the unity. So again, I know it's hard for us to think about ourselves at times. I get it. But within the local church, with, just here at FBC, what does it look like to be eager to maintain the unity? Rob? I think it could look like instead of waiting for something to already be crumbling before you try to fix it, hmm. build it up before, build a relationship with your congregation so that it doesn't lead to a crumbling that you need to then fix and rebuild. Yeah, so yeah. So being proactive. Proactively, yeah. Yeah. Like approaching your the members of the congregation mm. that maybe you don't know too well and building a relationship. That's a great point. Yeah, that's a great point. Instead of waiting for something to go wrong before you do something about it. Yeah, that's a great point. Thank you. That's a very practical way to think about how to practice that within the church. Yep. <clears throat> That's a really so good point, yeah. Proactive in encouraging people to join membership and joining the, you know, be, know what the church actually yeah. believes amen. about certain things. Yeah. Yeah, amen. That's a great point. Amen. We're going to talk about that a little bit too. But the fact, so we have something in place, a membership class, which actually starts this morning, um, a, a, a membership class where you go through a series of uh, teachings on what the church believes, what our church believes. And it's an opportunity to ask questions, um, to be challenged, to be encouraged, to um, you know, present different things. Well, this is something that you know, I've always understood the Bible to be saying that I think it's true, uh, but you guys seem to hold to this. Can we talk about it? It doesn't have to be a fight every time. <laughs> you, know, you can go through a, new, a membership class and just present you know, things that you've been thinking through. This is how I've understood this. How do you guys understand this? And it's just a conversation as you work through different things. And it is a way to preserve the unity. And some people will say, like, why, why do you need a new members class? You know, this isn't, you know, Planet Fitness. Why, why do we have to sign up for a membership class? But it is a way that the church can preserve the unity. And I think it's responsible to know that if you're joining a church, um, it's not just, you're not joining a church, back to the gym uh, analogy, you're not joining a church you know, in January, and then at the end of January, you have no motivation to work out again, so you quit the gym membership, right? We've all done that. I'll, I'll probably do it this year. <laughs> Joining a church is different, right? So you're, you're covenanting yourself with the people, and there doesn't have to be absolute entire agreement across the board. That's another misunderstanding about joining a church. There doesn't have to be entire agreement, but I'm gonna get off track because I got a lot to say about that, but maybe later. As far as uh, diligent to maintain unity and, and looking at this body, I, I think two parts is caught and it's taught. Yeah, we good point. It, we're, we're teaching verse by verse, chapter by chapter, so we're going to address those sin issues that could cripple a church. Yeah, so eventually your favorite one is going to get hit. And then secondly, it's demonstrated by elders and by deacons 
that dwell in unity and there's no <clears throat> grandstanding and I, you know, I'm the head cheese, I, yeah. I do this. Uh, I think that demonstration without a word paints a picture to the body hmm. that, that the people are not going to live a life any better than what's demonstrated by their leaders. Yeah, yeah. great point. Y'all are smart, man. I like y'all. Like I like thinking people. Of all the one another. Yeah. Sorry. No, go ahead, and then I'll, I'll get Dave. You know, it's, it's a good thing. Just go and just do a word study throughout the entire Bible of all the one another's, mm. and then just see how you were made for community, mm. not an individual. Yeah, that's a great point. And that's a good exercise to do, too. We might do that. Um, look at the one another's, all the one another's in Scripture, and think through how we can apply those here. Just adding to what Roger said, not only is the vision of what the leadership is doing important, but yeah. also the vision of what the individual and in the community are doing. Hmm. The people in the community need to work well. to the, um, the goals, the tenets of the hmm. church. Yeah. And their life needs to reflect that just hmm. as much as the leader's life needs to reflect that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yep, absolutely. That's a great point, too. Ellis saying some really good stuff. I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna move on, but I love that there's discussion. Norm. I'm gonna hold my teeth then. Norm. <laughs> I'll get you. You see, you already put it into practice. There you go. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so Ephesians four um, gives us uh, a call to preserve, strive, be eager to preserve the unity. Now, often churches become places of division, um, as Gene brought up earlier, division, grumbling, and bitterness. <clears throat> often we fail to display to each other and the watching world the power of the gospel at work in this new type of community. There's, there's something different and distinct about this community. When I say that, I mean Christians um, together. So the goal for this class is to explore a practical blueprint of what makes a church healthy and united. Sound doctrine expresses itself in a unifying love that glorifies God. So my prayer, and I'm hoping your prayer as well, is that all of us will leave this class, work through this series, in a way that helps us to better understand what the Bible says about Christian unity. And again, not just for the church, yes, for the church universal, but I also want us to think about here, Faith Baptist Church, each other, right? So for today's class, we'll start by looking at the idea of unity, mainly by uh, the description we find in Ephesians 3 and 4 of what it means to be a church. And then next, we'll look at some counterfeit versions of unity. And we'll contrast them with real unity, right? And we'll talk about the reason unity is important to the church. So first, we'll look at what Ephesians 3 to 4 says about unity. So I'll just work through this. Um, and then we'll get into more discussion when we talk about um, counterfeit unity, right? So let's start by answering a foundational question. What is God's plan for the local church? The Apostle, Paul's out, Apostle Paul lays out in Ephesians uh, chapters 2 and 3 and 4 what God's plan is for the local church. So let's go from, you're probably at Ephesians 4 right now. Jump back to Ephesians 2. And we'll look at just a sort of summary of verses 1 to 10. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Let me have somebody read that for us. Nice and loud so everybody can hear. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your, your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All right, thank you, Berto. So, we were dead in trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2.1, but God made us alive together with Christ, Ephesians 2.5. For by grace you have been saved through faith. <clears throat> this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, Ephesians 8-9. through <clears throat> But the gospel doesn't end uh, with our salvation. There's, there's a, a, a sanctifying that's happening. We're saved by Christ, but we're also saved into his holy body, the church, which has implications. The first being unity. So as Paul writes to Jews and Gentiles at the end of the chapter, in, in chapter 2, uh, he says that God has abolished the dividing wall of hostility, right? <clears throat> and by abolishing the law of commands expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself, what? One new man in place of the two, making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Ephesians 2.17, and he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So notice that the gospel alone creates the unity, like I mentioned earlier. It's uh, the cross by which Christ has put to death their hostility. So the Christian is not creating the unity. The Christian is called to preserve. He's brought into a unity, and he's called to eagerly maintain it, um, live in a way that's consistent with the reality, right? Now, <clears throat> when, when you think about the context in which Paul wrote this, uh, these Jews and Gentiles, they're... These are peoples who thought very differently. And what else is able to bring two people together with such different uh, history, ethnicity, religious practices, and culture? Um, as it is even today in many ways, there we, we can be there those who are not anything like us, they have just different thoughts, different upbringings, whatever it is. But here in this context, he's writing to Jews and Gentiles, it's a very contrasted people. And he's writing to them and he's saying, in Christ, the middle wall of separation of hostility has been brought down and he charges them to live in such a way where that's consistent with what the scripture says, one new man 
has been created in place of the two. So not one new man because they've aligned their thinking or they've aligned their convictions. One new man because of Christ is the new man in which we have union with and by him and in him there's union amongst those who have different backgrounds, understandings, all those different things. So that, that's really important when we think about unity and the uh, preservation and maintaining of unity. <clears throat> so again, two very distinct groups. Now, if you took a group of Jews and Gentiles who don't have anything in common and you bring them together into a local church, you would expect them to rub shoulders together, there to be hostility and things are just to be really bad, um, right? That's sort of the assumption. But Paul doesn't have that assumption. Uh, he actually goes the other way and he expects there to be a unique, deep unity that's unlike anything else under the sun, right? So this, this, this distinct, this, this uniqueness about the Christian living, Christians living together. And it's because of one thing that they have in common, the bond of Christ, that they can actually live together in an otherworldly um, unity and love for one another. Um, unity that's so unexpected, so contrary to how the world operates, that even the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms marvel at God's wisdom as he creates in Christ a new people from every tribe, tongue, language, social background, whatever. John 17, 23 says, I and them and you and me that they may become perfectly one, Jesus high priestly prayer, so that the world may know that you sent me and love me even as you love them. So unity stands out for these reasons. Um, so a couple things here. <clears throat> unity stands out for two different perspectives and from two different dimensions. First, it stands out because of its breadth. In other words, it stretches to include people as distinct as Jews and Gentiles, which glorifies God by reaching people who are apart from supernatural power, uh, would never unite together, right? So Ephesians 2.18, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Uh, unity is distinct and unique in, uh, for the Christian also because of its uh, depth. That is, it doesn't merely bring people together to tolerate each other, but to be so uniquely connected and committed that Paul can call them a new humanity, right? A new family. So it's interesting that above the uh, creation um, mandate of family, Paul puts the new covenant mandate of a new family and community of believers together, right? <clears throat> so there's this, again, because of union with Christ, there's the mandate of the covenant community that he puts over and above the creation mandate of family. Paul reaches for the, the uh, naturally um, language that the world uses and that's the deepest language to point to natural um, family, and he brings it over out of merely um, commonalities and uh, ethnicity to describe a new community of the church, something distinct and 
different and unique. Right? So a Christian's unity is different for its breadth and its depth. And ultimately, this unity is for the glory of the triune God. It's not just to say, well, we don't look like you do. We're different. It's for the glory of God. God's glory is displayed as he has broken down um, hostility between first the sinner and God. That's the basis of our unity and also broken down hostility uh, between peoples. And so there's a reconciliation between God and man and there's a reconciliation between people that makes them this new community together. Okay. Now, let's think about um, counterfeit unity. So the first uh, example of counterfeit unity I want to talk about is something that's just merely an organizational unity, right? So one problem we have whenever we start talking about Christian unity is that some people define unity as the idea that people (coughs) who call themselves Christians should sort of organize together or at least cooperate together as a single recognizable body. So they'll say that the existence of different denominations proves that the proves of the world that we're not united, that the universal church is not united. <clears throat> and I'm not sure if you guys have heard that type of language before, but the argument is this. If God is real and you're saying that I need to be a Christian, then why are there so many different denominations? Y'all don't even have unity. <laughs> How do you expect to win people to Christ uh, with the gospel when you guys are so disorganized? There are over 500 different denominations of, you know, whatever their reason is. Now, one problem with that logic is that it's too rigid, right? So it doesn't make room for nuances like unity and agreement on essential things while having distinctions and disagreements on what may be secondary issues. It can't just, it doesn't have to just be black or white. Either there's only one denomination and therefore you show to the world that you're unified or there's nothing at all. You're just all hypocrites. We can't think like that. It's too rigid. Um, And then also, no one actually lives like that. Like, think about... I don't know, you, you have a, a corporation where it, it, it's the new year and they all say, well, we want to start working out in the new year. There's sort of this health push in whatever job this is. Target employees, they say, we want to start working out. And everybody starts to join the membership. Some people join Planet Fitness, some people 24-hour fitness, whatever the other memberships that are out there. And when you think about that scenario, none of those employees are saying, you work out at Planet Fitness? You work out at 24-hour gym. You work out at Gold's gym. We can't work together here. They take off their Target shirt, throw it, and then leave. <laughs> Nobody actually does that. They still work together and cooperate together, and they all work out at different places, and it's okay. You know, that, that's a low example when you're talking about the church, but it's still an example. Nobody actually does that. When you assume that everybody has to have the exact same agreement entirely, then I think you're misunderstanding 
what unity is. <clears throat> um, we can have fundamental and essential agreement across denominations and still disagree on secondary issues. Um, and the thing is that you can still uh, do all kinds of good things together um, in pursuit of sharing the gospel um, and do well together, even though you have disagreement on secondary issues. So in that sense, the denominations actually, I think, showcase our unity and the gospel more strongly than if we just pretend that our disagreements don't matter. I think you have deeper unity when you can recognize disagreements and still live together, right? So I think that it's, it's too rigid if we say it has to be one denomination or nothing. We have to make room for nuances and think through these things more critically. <clears throat> Another reason that uh, this view, I think, misses the goal is, um, or at least organizational unity misses the goal, is because it doesn't think through the goal of unity being as important as the unity. So again, we're thinking about counterfeit unity and we're thinking about organizational unity. It's just merely organizational. There are many who call themselves Christian, but who would disagree with the true universal church on things as fundamental as who God is, what people must do to be saved, even whether we need to be saved at all from sin. So that means that shallow organizational unity for the sake of unity can actually entirely confuse the world about the nature of Christianity and the gospel. It can be a good thing to cooperate with others for the sake of a common good, not against that. Um, but while this can be a type of unity, it's not the Christocentric unity that Paul talks about in Ephesians. Um, we don't just want to have an organizational unity. You know who had an or organizational unity? Um, the people in Genesis 11 around the Tower of Babel. It was an organizational unity. Verse 3 says, they said to one another, come, let us make brick and burn them together. They worked together the common goal. But why were they doing it and what was the result? Genesis 11:4 says, then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us what? Make a name for ourselves. And what was the result? The Lord dispersed them from over the face of the earth and they left off building the city. Having organizational unity merely is not uh, the essence and shouldn't be the essence of unity for the Christian. Paul talks about something entirely different when he talks about unity. The source and goal of unity is also essential to true unity, right? Um, with our last uh, few minutes here, let's talk about another um, form of, I think, counterfeit unity. We'll call this gospel plus unity. The gospel plus this thing makes us unified. The second counterfeit of true Christian unity is more subtle and probably something that we're more at risk to fall into. So we'll start with an example. <clears throat> Let's say that uh, there's an OCPS 
school teacher who joins the church, who is he probably naturally going to be drawn to? Who's he probably gonna have more conversation with naturally? Who's probably gonna naturally understand his language and the way he thinks uh, better? Teachers, it's, it's natural, right? I think all of us do that. So let's say we introduce him to other teachers and maybe eventually we get a small group together for OTPS teachers. And sure enough, he quickly integrates into that community and he thrives. And we say, bam, we created unity. Is that merely what we should understand as true Christian unity? I would say no. This is why. What happened is possibly more a demographic phenomenon than it is a gospel phenomenon. Teachers gravitate to teachers regardless of whether uh, they're Christian or not. Um, you know, bus drivers to bus drivers and accountants to accountants. It's just we have these natural things in common with each other, maybe by our experience or work history or, or whatever. Um, and there's nothing wrong with wanting to be with people of similar life experience. It's natural, and I think there can be benefit to it. I mean, we have a mom's group here, and we've had a Veritas young adults group in the past. Um, but if this is the foundation of what we call church community, then essentially we built something that would exist apart from God, right? So an organization can have a bunch of school teachers that sort of gather together and they call it unity, but what makes that distinct or the church's unity distinct from that? Again, the same thing. There's something underneath merely having commonality in life experience, in um, our work experience, and whatever those things are, there has to be something up underneath that that grounds the unity. <clears throat> so in contrast to what we see in Ephesians, this type of unity can be something of a gospel plus unity. Now I use the example of OCPS teachers, but just so we can think about this a little bit, what are some other forms um, of, from this example, what I'm talking about, of a gospel plus unity. What are some other things you can think of? Age? Yeah? Yeah, feel free. Call it out. Age groups. <laughs> yes, and again, as, yes, I, I love it. You're thinking practically through it. Again, I want, I want us to think about here. Yes, yes, universal church, if something comes to mind, but I want us to think about here as well. So age, what else? Just, just call it out. We've got a couple minutes left. Just call it out. Hobbies. Hobbies. What else? Parenting life stage. What's that? Parenting life stage. Parenting life stage. Yep. What else? Race. 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 Yeah, absolutely. What else? Singles, couples. Singles, couples. Right. <laughs> we all know these. We've seen, we've been a part of, we've experienced. Um, a type of gospel plus unity. Not that singles couples is wrong in and of themselves. Some people are single, some people are married. Not that being older or younger is evil in and of itself. Not that having hobbies is wrong or enjoying sports teams is wrong or our ethnicity is, th these things aren't evil in and of themselves, but 
when we add them to the gospel, they can become and do become a problem. Um, I think it can become something that threatens gospel unity and is just, let's say, downright sinful. When it's attached to the gospel as a prerequisite for true Christian unity, right? The, the singles in our church aren't going to leave so that we can have a couples-only church and have true unity. Uh, the people with children aren't going to leave so we can just have a church with no children and therefore we have unity. Um, no, but, but what I'm saying is in this illustration is when we think about gospel plus unity, we have to be mindful of anything that we're adding to Christian unity um, that we say is essential in order to have Christian unity in addition to the gospel. Our mom's group will continue. Our men's Wednesday night studies will continue. Women's continue. Um, the, the point isn't that we need to get rid of those things. The point is that those things the, the men's group, <clears throat> all being men, is not the essence of their Christian unity. The mom's group, all being moms, is not the essence of their Christian unity, which is why we should be able to, as Nancy said, come into a service um, uh, and have uh, our younger people, you know, uh, getting with, talking through, praying with, praying for our older people. And our single people getting with, inviting over, praying with, talking through uh, life with uh, those with uh, young children. Like there, there ought to be this sort of cross-pollination. Is that, is that what I'm looking for, pollination? Bees do that, right? <laughs> there ought to be this sort of uh, getting with each other as we recognize that the foundation of our unity is Christ. Um, I have more to say on that, and I didn't get to get to um, I said that twice. I didn't get to the last point, which is what uh, unity is, but we did talk about it a, a good amount from Ephesians 3 and 4. But think about those things. Um, and so this is just sort of a, maybe a, a sneak peek or a preview of what this class will aim at. It's aimed at unity and not just sort of thinking through what's popular in Christian right now and you know issues of social issues and this and that. But we want to think about at our church, here at Faith Baptist Church, how can we be eager to maintain the unity? Think about your own heart and your own life and things that you're working through. How can you be eager to maintain the unity? Think about relationships that you have with certain people. Ones that are good, ones that are not so good. How can you strive and be eager to maintain the unity? Not just for you guys, but for me as well. Thinking through these things as a body of Christ. Um, as Christians who, who live together and who are knit together because of our union with Christ and therefore our union with one another. Okay? So that'll be this Sunday School series. Just in conclusion, again, Kyle Hauk and I will be teaching through this series. Um, and it's a series that we really pulled from um, Capitol Hill Mark, Mark Devers Church's team, their core seminars series, they have one entitled Living as a Church. And we went through it and found it extremely helpful. Um, and so we want to think through it together and teach through it so that our church here can think through some of these things and what the Bible says about Christian unity. Okay? Nancy?
I, I was applying it mentally to my marriage or our marriage. Hmm. And at every, every point, obviously, it's not happenstance. Sure. That there's a correlation, but sure. it's really, you know, I kept thinking, oh, yeah, we're two sinners married and expecting to just blend. And it's, it's, it's <coughs> interesting. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it is uh, very much. I mean, there are so many similarities when you think about the church and Christ and his bride and, you know, marriage. Um, but, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. <clears throat> All right, so let me uh, close this out in prayer, and we'll be dismissed after that. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have called a people to yourself. Um, you have regenerated a people. You have saved a people. And you have collected those people into a body um, and we recognize that we are sinners. We recognize our faults, our shortcomings, our transgressions. And I pray that you would keep, keep us close to humility in that way um, so that we strive rightly uh, before you and before each other to be eager to maintain the unity, um, being humble enough to uh, approach each other and being humble enough to come before you and ask, Lord, show us the areas of our own heart where we're not striving and eager to maintain the unity. Um, not, not, not in a way, this, this isn't meant to um, beat us down or become um, a legalistic burden. Um, it's meant to um, edify and encourage one another and strive alongside one another for the preservation um, and the maintaining of unity. So, Lord, please give us the right mindset as we think through this class and uh, give us a, a, a hope as we are being sanctified of an even better uh, unity than we have now. You've preserved us and you've kept us, Lord, and we are thankful for it, but we do pray that we would even progress more and be further sanctified as a local church here at FBC concerning our unity. Lord, we thank you for that, um, and we pray and ask desperately for you to do this um, amongst this people here. In Christ's name, amen.